0: Hi, this is Pastor Bob Yandian. Today, we're continuing on with the Beatitudes. We're going to take two of them today, "Blessed of the Merciful and "Blessed of the Pure in Heart. You want to find out more about it? Let's go to the Word of God together.
1: For more than 40 years, Bob Yandian has been an expositor of the Bible, making seemingly complicated doctrine easy to understand. Grab your Bible and something to take notes with and study the Word of God with Pastor Bob Yandian.
0: Hello and welcome again to Student of the Word with Pastor Bob Yandy. It is so good to have you here today. Those of you who've been tuning in for some time, thank you. You guys are just great. In fact, many of you make up those who support the ministry and carry my hands and lift them up so that we have victory in the everyday wars uh, that go on because of a, of a TV broadcast. And so again, thank you so much for being a blessing and sharing your blessings with us. In fact, I'm gonna talk about you today and uh, in this, uh, on the Beatitudes, because I'm gonna take two of them today. I'm gonna take first half, I'm gonna talk about the merciful. In the second half, I'm gonna talk about the pure in heart. And uh, these are found in Matthew chapter five, verses seven and verse eight. And so blessed are the merciful is what we talk about first, but again, and then the pure in heart. The blessed are the merciful, that's really those who demonstrate the mercy they have received. For those of you who have received a blessing from this broadcast, it's important you share that blessing with others around you, and you can do that by giving financially and with your prayer and standing in faith with me and praying for me. Thank you so much for that. And so I like to think of it this way. When you give finances, in fact, the Bible talks so much about finances, Old and New Testament, and the purpose of a Christian using finances to send into the ministry is it allows you to fulfill a greater part of the Great Commission go into all the world. Well, I can't go into all the world. Yes, you can by giving, Giving represents you. It's money you work for. It's seen as part of your life, part of your person, part of your gifting, part of the things that you are called to do or even that are you're good at. I mean, the, the things that, you know, different people are different, good at different things. And some are even perfectionists have gone on to, to set up great industries and stuff around something they really enjoyed doing. This is something where you take of that and you give because when you give of your finances, you give of yourself. So when I send $100 to a missionary, that's me going to that mission field. The money represents me. It is my servant. The servant doesn't get the credit. It's the owner that gets the credit. It is the landlord that gets the credit. The finance is given to him. So whenever I give into the ministry, that money's out there working for me and I can send it to the uttermost parts of the earth. That's what Jesus said as as far as the gospel's concerned. That starts in Jerusalem and Judea. That's your home church, your hometown, but then goes into the uttermost parts of the earth Country by country, this is what allows you to do it. Money works for you. And so when you send it to this ministry, my results are your results. I'm here as your servant and and the money is your servant. I'm here to do what God has asked me to do. And when your heart, joins mine. You say, I like this guy. I like the way he ministers. Then that happens in your heart. You join me in heart first. And next of all, you join me in your finances. If you'd like to become a partner with me, then go to BobYandian.com. You'll find a place there where you can become a partner with me. And thank you for joining me. And thank you for sending your money as a blessed servant to go out and to bring people to the kingdom of God, and especially to make disciples out of converts. Matthew chapter five, verse seven says this, blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. This verse is basically talking about sowing and reaping. What you what you sow is what you uh, are going to reap one day. In other words, you take from your life and you give. God has placed mercy in your heart. And so blessed are the merciful. Actually, the word for merciful is elemon. And the word actually means compassionate for they shall receive mercy. Notice the merciful are those who give mercy and then they actually receive it back from others. I like that verse of scripture back in Proverbs where people often talk, I just don't have any friends. Well, it says in in, uh, Proverbs, you want to have friends, show yourself friendly. In other words, if you want friends, then be a friend. Don't look for people to be friends with you so that you can be a friend. No, be a friend to them, whether they're ever a friend back to you or not. But you're going to hit some that are going to be good ground, and you sow into their life friendship, and they're going to come back to you as a friend. That's how you get good friends. You start it. And the same thing was nobody ever shows me mercy. Nobody seems to be compassionate to me. Well, blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. So basically it comes down to this, that mercy is a seed that you sow. Something on the inside of you and you sow it into others. Some people, it's just useless, but you know what? You keep on sowing anyway. Look at the sower. He kept throwing out there to four different types of ground and only one really produced. The other three did not. I mean, you're gonna find in life, there's gonna be a lot of people reject you, but keep throwing those mercy seeds out there for people. And somebody's going to be merciful back to you. And that's where you find real strong Christian fellowship with people is because you share compassion for each other, with each other, then toward others. So blessed are the merciful, the compassionate, for they shall receive mercy. Mercy is grace in action. Mercy is an action word. Grace is on the inside of you. But the moment you take that grace inside of you, that's dormant inside of you, and you begin to act in mercy, you have put grace into action. Jesus did this. In fact, people asked for it. There was a man sitting beside the road one day, said, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. There was a a man that was sick. He said, Lord, have mercy on me, you son of David. And Jesus stopped because why? He cried out for mercy. Jesus loves to hear people crying out for mercy. When he hears of mercy, his grace is released on the inside of him. And again, mercy is grace in action. The merciful put mercy into action and grace into action. Mercy is of no value until you decide to use it. You can be a merciful person, but you know what? Nobody's going to know it until they see it demonstrated in your life. So it comes down to this. Being merciful is a choice. You choose to be merciful, you choose to be a friend, you choose for these qualities inside of yourself to be put into demonstration toward others, whether they are bad ground, stony ground, thorny ground, or good ground. You may not know at the time, and you may there may be people that surprise you, that you sow mercy into them, and they turn around and spit on you, and that's happened. Look what happened to Jesus in going to the cross, but you know what? He still went, and today His mercy is offered throughout the world. His grace is offered throughout the world, but you know what? A mass number of them reject Jesus, but there's those that accept him. And through that, God has been able to change the world through those who believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. The first place where you receive the mercy of God is when you reach out and say, Lord, I believe in you as the Lord and Savior of my life. The mercy of God has been demonstrated towards you. And so Jesus by the cross has really stretched his hands out toward us to offer us mercy. And that mercy comes to us, first of all, from the will of God to see us become a child of God. We received mercy first from God then we learn in our Christian life how to give it to others. Second Corinthians chapter one, verses three and four says this, blessed be God, even the father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Notice that mercy and comfort are tied together by offering mercy to somebody. When they receive it, it brings comfort to them. And there's so many people around looking for comfort today. And oftentimes when you present it from God, the first thing they do is react to it. And they'll say, no, I don't want that because why they don't see Christians as mercy And oftentimes we look judgmental to people, but when they see that mercy coming from us, oftentimes it puts them on the defensive. And so, you know what? I don't care. Let it put them on the defensive because one day they may come to the understanding that guy really did care. And you know what? It may lead them to the Lord Jesus Christ. So again, the things we sow, not everybody's going to respond now, but some may respond later. With some we plant, others we water, but God give the increase. I sat on a plane one day, a young man sat beside me. The moment he sat down, the Lord spoke to me and said, he's ready to receive me. I thought, wow, that that's something. So I started talking. We, we just sat there as the plane was filling up. And as we taxied toward the runway, I was talking to him and found out, he. You know, when he found out I was a minister, I mean, his eyes lit up. He said, really? He said, yeah, he said, what kind of church do you pastor? And I told him, and he said, and I said, you're ready to receive Jesus, aren't you? And he said, yes, I am. And he said, I, somebody, two people have told me about him. And I, I said, no, both times. But the other day I thought about, you know what? I need it. But then I didn't remember how to do it. And I asked the Lord to send somebody to help me. Guess what? He put us side-by-side on the plane. I like to tell this, that on the ground, he was a sinner. But by the time we took off into the air, he was a child of God. He received Jesus as Lord and Savior. I would love to take credit for that, but somebody else planted, somebody else watered. I just got to see the increase. And that's what we're talking about here in this verse of scripture. Second Corinthians, again, chapter one, verses three and four, blessed be God even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. In other words, another word for mercy is to sow comfort into people, to let them know that you care, genuinely care for who comforts us in our tribulation that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble by the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. What happens in the verse of scripture is mercy is simply turned around and used as compassion and comfort given by God to us, then we give it to other people. The first thing that God brought to us through the message of Jesus Christ was comfort in the middle of a world full of sin and a life full of sin. He has redemption for me. And so again, this is why it is. When we treat others in mercy, we then receive mercy from others. Like friendship, again, it begins with us. To have friends, you must show yourself friendly. This verse says, to have mercy returned to us, we need to sow mercy first of all. We are filled with such good things, but we often, again, what we become is shy or else we become a little fearful, and we're waiting for somebody to act toward us first. You start it growing. You start giving it. There is a ministry in the Word of God even called an office of mercy. There's five offices that stand behind the pulpit. I call them Pulpit offices, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. These are found in Ephesians chapter four, and so. Uh, but in Romans chapter twelve, we also have seven other offices, and these are not the the ones that stand behind the pulpit. These are the congregational offices. The moment you get born again, God has an office for you. It may not be in the pulpit, and it won't start out in the pulpit. But oftentimes, if you'll do what God's called you to do, there's seven of them listed in Romans chapter twelve verses six through eight, and these seven, one of them is called mercy. And so it says in verse, uh, Uh, Six, having gifts differing according to the grace that is given unto us. And then it goes on to say, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. Mercy is again, that office of compassion and comfort that you give to people. Notice there's people actually stand in an office of mercy. There's a lady on staff at the church when I was pastoring there. And I mean, when we sent people to the hospital and she was the one that went, I mean, people almost begged for her to come and they'd see her once and she'd come back and she had a way of being so merciful. She would take the despondency off people. And traded for her mercy, and those people, when they when she left from there, those people were comforted and cheered, and they loved her. What she have? She not only had mercy; she had a gift of mercy. This is really an amplification of the mercy that God has given to us. Jesus told us if we want to be treated in mercy, we must treat others in mercy first. So, sowing and reaping is a foundational. Thing of the Word of God. It is a fundamental doctrine of the Word of God found from the very opening of the Word of God and even in Genesis chapter eight, it says, as long as the earth remains, there will always be seed time and harvest. And so if it's love, what you're gonna get? You're gonna sow love and get back love. Friendship, you're gonna sow friendship and get back friends. You're gonna sow crops in this earth and you're gonna get back crops. If you sow finances, the Bible's filled with this. If you give into the lives of other people, it's gonna come back to you, good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, if you give for the right motive. But the last thing here that we're talking about here is the, sowing mercy, mercy. Mercy means even if you don't have any money in your pocket, you have a form of currency that will be a tremendous blessing to other people. And it's called mercy in this verse of scripture. When we come back, we're gonna to go to the second part of this, and that's called the pure in heart. We're gonna talk about a description and a definition of, of what Jesus meant when he said, blessed are the pure in heart. I'll see you right after the break, right after halftime.
1: In Psalm 11, we are warned, if the foundations are destroyed, what Can the Righteous Do? Believers who wish to grow in Christ must understand the foundation of doctrines on which our faith is built. Doctrines are not difficult to understand, but they often come disguised as complicated or deep-sounding words, even when the definitions are simple. In 32 audio lessons, Bobby Indian simplifies these doctrines that bring strength and stability to a believer's foundation. Topics include redemption, predestination, sanctification, unlimited atonement, the flesh, resurrection bodies, baptism, the infilling of the Spirit, and laying on of hands. This flash drive can be used with computers, MP3 players, smartphones, and tablets, as well as car stereos equipped with USB connection. To order foundations, go to BobYandian.com. The Beatitudes are the introduction to the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. They are divided into two sections, being hearers and being doers of God's Word. In this seven-lesson series titled Grace for Growth, Bob Indian breaks down the Beatitudes and explains the steps to spiritual maturity. Grace for Growth is available as a seven-CD series or as an MP3 download To order, visit our website at bobyandian.com Bob Yandian Ministries is training up a new generation in the Word of God. Because of your generosity and faithfulness, this teaching ministry is able to change countless lives. You will never know until you get to heaven how many people received Jesus, were filled with the Holy Spirit, healed or found God's will for their life through your support and prayers. If you would like to become a partner with Bob Yandian, visit our website at bobyandian.com
0: and click on partnership. The very first beatitude we talked about said, blessed are the destitute in spirit. And it talked about the new birth. This is what it was. A person is destitute in their spirit is somebody that's spiritually dead. This one goes on, though, and says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. It almost sounds like we're saying the same thing, but we're not. This is talking about maintaining purity of heart after the new birth. The, the purity of heart really is not the spirit we're talking about. That's where a new life came into. But it's talking about maintaining a soul that's in proper relationship with God. This verse right here is really talking about growth in the Christian life. This is true to discipleship, what God is aiming for, and that is we walk in purity of heart before the world. Not only am I sin free in my spirit, I am sin free in my life before the world. And this is what comes back to the renewing of the mind found in Romans chapter 12. Again, we come back to it. The new birth is in the spirit, but discipleship really takes place in the soul. It's the learning and then working of the word of God in our life to where we live the word of God before the world. And that's what this verse is talking about. Verse eight says here, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. The reason why I say that is because it looks like in this verse of scripture, unless you remain pure pure in heart or maintain purity of heart, you won't go to heaven. That's not what this is saying. This is a verse that many jump onto who do not believe in the security of the believer, and they actually believe if you have any sin in your life at all, and you died at that point, you would not go to heaven. I'm here to tell you that the sin that was removed when you got born again was a sin that stood between you and God, rejection of Jesus Christ. But Christian sin, and even if you die with some sin in your life, and you're a Christian, you'll go to heaven, but you'll have lack of rewards. God's looking though for a life before the world where we walk in pureness of heart, because this is part of our witness to the world. My witness to the world is not just to tell them I've been born again, but they actually see the life in front of me. Or as the expression goes, I'm tired of just hearing about Christianity. I want to see it in action. I want to see a Christian, not just hear him talk. Blessed are the pure in heart for they shall perceive God. Keeping a pure heart is why we walk in holiness. Why we walk in righteousness, in fact these are synonyms for purity of heart, walking in holiness before the world and walking in righteousness before the world. I have it in my inside of me, but I want the world to see. It. In other words taking the righteousness of God and displaying it to the world. What's in me needs to be brought to the outside. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So this is what this is talking about. So I need to live before the world uh, in purity of heart. Then it goes on to say the pure in heart shall see God. But the word here for see is not the regular word in the Greek blepo. Blepo means to see with the eyes. It's where we get blips on a radar screen. But this is the word horao. And it's where we get the word horizon from. And it doesn't mean to see physically with the eyes it means to perceive, to see the overall picture. Blessed are the pure in heart for they shall perceive God. In other words, it's not just the fact I can talk about God, I begin to understand his character. I begin to understand his makeup. I begin to understand his motives. I begin to understand the real fabric of who God really is. And that fabric now enters into my life. And now for people to see me, they see God. But you know why? I go further than just seeing God. I perceive him. I understand him. I know more about him. I'll never totally perceive him. I'll never totally understand God. That's impossible because God is infinite throughout all of eternity. I'll be learning more and more, but you know what? Infinite simply means it cannot be totally understood. God is absolute perfection, but keeping a pure heart is why we walk in holiness. This is why we walk in righteousness. We've already have a pure spirit that happened when we became born again, but a pure heart is a soul remaining free from sin. Do we sin as Christians? Yes. But first John one, nine has been given to us. I love first John two, one and first John two, one tells us, that uh we do have sin that enters into our life, but what do I do if I sin? If I sin, I have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. These things right? with you that you sin not. You say, yes, yes, I don't wanna sin. Well, do you sin? Yeah, from time to time. I like to look at it this way. As far as walking free from sin, this is God's goal for our life. He wants us to reach a point in our life where we never sin at all. These things right? we unto you to, to sin not. Uh, your word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin. Jesus said on two occasions, one woman got forgiven and another man got healed. In both cases, he said, go and sin no more. That's a big, tall order. The point of it is, did they sin again? Probably. I mean, I'd have to say assuredly they did. But the point of it is, you start aiming toward that goal day after day after day. And when you do fail, when you do sin, you ask him to forgive you, but you get right back on track, headed toward that day where I will never sin again. And you have to look back at your life and understand something. I had gained a lot of ground in the past 10 years, the past five years. Every day I get closer and closer to that goal. Will I ever reach it? Not here in this life, I will in heaven, but not down here. But what God wants is with that goal in mind, every day our life becomes a more righteous living life in front of the world. And this is what it means. Blessed are the pure in heart. That person begins to truly perceive God because God is totally sin free. First John 1 verse 7 through 9 says this. If we walk in the light... As he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. That's you and God the Father and you and Jesus Christ. It says we have fellowship one with the other and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. See, this verse even says, if you're walking free from sin, understand something, you still can sin. But again, it should become less and less as you gain more power through the Word of God to overcome it and walk free from it. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So what is this verse saying? A pure heart is simply this. It's walking in the light or our present knowledge of the Word of God. As my knowledge of the Word of God increases, my walking in the Light increases, and remaining in fellowship increases. The cleansing of Jesus' blood takes place all the time, and staying free from sin becomes a major part of my life. I now look at my life and say, you know what? I can't remember the last time I sinned. I mean, I remind me of sin years ago, but as far as the last one, I can't remember it. Why? Because I've been staying up and staying current on confessing of sins, but also just walking by the word of God. And the more I work by the word of God, I had no desire to sin. I have power over sin. That's the beauty of it. First John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. This is how we maintain a pure heart. Notice this, a pure heart can be lost in a Christian. Not his spirit, his spirit still born again, but as far as his heart is concerned, his thinking is concerned, the renewed mind is concerned, this is what God is looking for. Confessing of our daily sins is a means of maintaining that pure heart. The same blood that saved me is also the same blood that cleanses me from sin as a Christian. So in my Christian life, here's what happens. I come to the Lord and the same, the blood that forgave me of all my sins and also uh, gained me access to heaven now becomes a part of forgiving me from the daily sins I walk in. Understand this. When I came to Jesus to get saved, I was a sinner receiving remission of sins. Now I'm a Christian getting rid of sins in my life. Those things that slow me down. There's not a sin in the Christian life that can keep me out of heaven. I got rid of that when I got born again, but those can hinder my daily walk with God, hinder my daily walk with people, hinder my testimony before other people Throughout the Word of God, we have uh, different comparisons to the blood that saves us, and the blood that also cleanses in our daily life. It's the same blood of Jesus, but a great amount was necessary for me to get born again. And Jesus, uh, in, in the book of John, talked to his disciples about this and compared it to taking a bath, but then washing your feet. And he said, taking a bath, because Peter stood in front of him as, as Jesus washed feet and said, Peter said, no, 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 don't wash my feet, bathe me all over, wash my head, wash my hands wash my body, and Jesus said, "Peter, once a man has been completely cleansed, he only needs to wash his feet. It's your feet that come in contact with the world. it's your feet that come in contact with the dirt and with the dust of this world, and that comes on you and even the priests of the Old Testament, they took a bower, they took a shower, they took bathing before they left the house, but by the time they walked across the sands to the tabernacle, their feet were dirty, and there was a laver outside of the holy place where they would wash off their feet, stand in it, walk around and wash their feet off, and then go into the place where God's presence was. That's the way we are. Before we do anything for the Lord, we ought to make sure that our feet are cleansed. I don't need to wash over again. When I got washed by Jesus Christ, I'll never need to be washed again, but my feet need to be washed each and every day. One took a lot of water, one took a little water. When I became born again, the blood of Jesus Christ at that time, not only cleansed me from all sins, but also made me eligible to go to heaven. At that point, I am now, now available for heaven. Should I die now at a younger age or live to be a really, really old man? I'm here to tell you, no matter when I die, I'm gonna be going right into heaven. Heaven. A young child that might be born again at five or six years old, if they died at 15, would go straight to heaven. What am I telling you? That was accomplished when you became born again. And that takes literally, as the Old Testament talk about, a bowl of blood. And a bowl of blood was what was shed from the Passover lamb. But then they could take it and sprinkle it over the doorpost. And the sprinkling was just little drops of blood. That represents your daily walk with God. That represents, as this verse of scripture talk about here, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall perceive God. For me to remain pure of heart, I don't need to go get washed again. I don't need to go get bathed again. I don't need to go get saved again. There's only one salvation, but there's many foot washings in the Christian life. In fact, there can be many a day. But what he's simply saying, the longer you walk with God, the less foot washings you need. First John 1, 9 is not a verse on salvation. First John 1, 9 is a verse on walking in fellowship with God, that foot washing that's so necessary. When the children of of Israel crossed the Red Sea. They did nothing. Moses just said, stand still and watch the deliverance of the Lord. And at that time, as he held out that rod across the water, the waters parted the Red Sea parted. There was so much water there, but the children of Israel walked across without doing anything. Moses said, stand still and watch, and they did. But when they came to the Red Sea, they had been saved for years. That water of crossing the Red Sea represents the new birth. They've now walked for 40 years in a growth process. Now standing before the a Jordan River, about to cross over in that promised land, this time the priests had to go and they had to put their foot in the water, first of all. A type of 1 John 1, 9. Not as much water this time. This was a river, but it was impassable as the Red Sea was impassable. You cannot forgive yourself of daily sins any more than you can get yourself saved. But once you come to the Lord as your savior, from that time on, you simply approach him as the one to wash your feet. But you can't wash your feet. The Lord does it. And so in so doing, we have drops of blood. We have drops of water, those that cleanse us so that we can go into the pureness and to the extra great, life that God has for us. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 14 says this, follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall perceive the Lord. We have the same thing there in Hebrews 12 as we do in this verse of scripture in the Beatitudes. I will see you tomorrow and we'll continue on from here. You can order resources, become a partner,